Welcome to this final episode for the week of Come Follow Me, A Disciple's Journey. This episode will cover 3 Nephi chapter 19. All right, remember back in chapter 17, Christ was like, hey, I see that you guys need to take some time to ponder on this. And so go home. I'm going to leave. I'll come back so you can prepare your minds for what I'm going to teach you tomorrow. Well, now in chapter 19, it says, it came to pass that Jesus had ascended into heaven because at the end of chapter 18, he, after um, giving the authority to give the Holy Ghost to the disciples, he ascended into heaven. Um, the multitude did disperse, and every man did take his wife and his children and did turn to his own home. So they all went home. Okay, now keep that in mind, that they all went home. And then it says, um, And even all the night it was noised abroad concerning Jesus, and insomuch that they did send forth unto the people that they were many, Yea, an exceedingly great number did labor exceedingly all that night that they might be on the morrow in the place where Jesus should show himself. So the word spreads out far and wide, so then everyone's trying to get to where he's going to be the next day. So now the numbers are increasing. I've always imagined this as like, you know, because you want to think like, man, I just saw Jesus. I'm going to run around town here and I'm going to pound down the door of everyone and I'm going to let them all know. I don't think that's what happened. I think what happened is um, these people... They went home. Every man did take his wife and his children and did return to his own home. I think that they probably did what Christ implored them to do in chapter 17, and that is to ponder on the things which I have said. Ask the Father in my name that you may understand and prepare your minds for the, for the morrow. I think that they did that. That involves going home. But I also think that they told the people around where they live. I think, I told their, I think they told their neighbors, and their neighbors told their neighbors. I think that people focused on their circle of influence. The people who are right in their way, right in their path, that's who they told. And sometimes sometimes that's the way it works in life. We don't have to go out beyond who the Lord has already put in our way. Who has he put in your way to share the gospel with? Even if it's someone who already knows about the gospel, but who has he put in your way to invite them to come unto Christ? The purpose of a missionary, as stated in Preach My Gospel, the missionary manual, is to invite others to come unto Christ by helping them receive the restored gospel through faith in Jesus Christ and His atonement, repentance, baptism, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end. So, nowhere in there do I hear that the purpose of a missionary is to focus only on people who don't have the gospel. To invite others to come unto Christ. Anyone. That that includes anyone. And so what I imagine these people did is they went back to their homes and on their way they saw people. And when they got home, their neighbor, because these are people who these are the people who had gathered in Bountiful around the temple, who not necessarily from the land Bountiful, right? But maybe I mean I would imagine near theirs if they if they went about all that home but not everyone probably gathered around the temple so they go and they're they're this the people along their path in their way their neighbors and then their neighbors tell some the people that are their neighbors and they see and by the next by that all through that night it spreads like wildfire and so that all the multitude comes back um and so now it begins with the the they get they then gather together and the twelve uh, apostles disciples were 
gathered and they separate into 12 bodies and with the multitude, obviously assuming that one of them, one apostle or disciple for each group of people, and they have them pray. And the disciples did pray unto the Father in the name of Jesus. And what did they pray for? And they did pray for that which they most desired. What do you most desire? Ask yourself that. And they desired that the Holy Ghost should be given unto them. Elder McConkie said, There is a difference between the gift of the Holy Ghost and the enjoyment of the gift. All saints after baptism receive the gift or right to the sanctifying power of the Spirit. Only those who are worthy and those who keep the commandments actually enjoy the promised reward. In practice, members of the church enjoy the companionship of the Spirit from time to time as they manage by obedience to get in tune with the, with the infinite. The actual enjoyment of the gift of the, of the Holy Ghost is a supernal gift that a man can receive in mortality. The fact of its receipt is a witness that the saint is so that the saints so blessed are reconciled to God and are doing the things that will assure them eternal life in the realms ahead. When we have the Holy Ghost, and as he says, the enjoyment of the gift of the Holy Ghost, as we have that with us, we are clean, we are pure, we are sanctified. The Holy Ghost is a cleansing agent. He comes and purifies like fire. And in so doing, is a promise that uh, we are doing the things that will assure us of eternal life in the world, in the realms ahead, as we stay on that same course. President Heber J. Grant speaking also about the the Holy Ghost and the gift of the, and the power of the Holy Ghost and praying for that. Said, "I have little to no fear for the boy or girl, the young man or young woman, who honestly and conscientiously supplicate God twice a day for the guidance of His Spirit." I am sure that when temptation come, they will have the strength to overcome it by the inspiration that shall be given unto them. Supplicating the Lord for guidance of his spirit places around us a safeguard. And if we earnestly and honestly seek the guidance of the spirit of the Lord, I can assure you that we will receive it. The same same vein of thought here, President Marion G. Romney said, If you want to obtain and keep the guidance of the spirit, you can do so by following the simple four-point program. One, pray. Pray diligently. Second, study and learn the gospel. Third, live righteously and repent of your sins. Fourth, give service in the church. By doing those things, again, let's go back to what I, in the previous episode, mentioned that um, Elder Maxwell said, as we become more like him, it will take place in both attributes and actions. We will pray like the like Christ. And he had said in chapter 18, I've given you the example, pray like me. So we'll pray like him, but then we'll live like him and we will study like him and we will live righteously and we'll repent and we will give service. And in, by doing that, we help to fulfill our own prayers and say to Heavenly Father, our prayer of wanting the Holy Ghost is sincere. How sincere? I'm going to live my life that way. And then we receive that gift and that enjoyment. So the disciples continue uh, in this way and they pray and now they then go one by one into the water and are baptized. These are people who are already baptized. Go back into Third Nephi. Nephi is outside of the city and outside of Zarahemla and things, and he's baptizing people. He's already baptized. These a lot of these people are already baptized. Why baptized anew? Joseph Fielding Smith uh, helped to explain that. He said, when Christ appeared to the Nephites on this continent, he commanded them to be baptized, although they had been baptized previously for the remission of their sins. The Savior commanded Nephi and the people to be baptized again because he had organized anew the church under the gospel. Before that, it had been under it had been organized under the law of Moses. For the same reason, Joseph Smith and those who had been baptized prior to April sixth 
were again baptized on the day of the organization of the church, because now it's been organized anew with a, with a new authority uh, to operate. So they're baptized again. So once they've now been baptized, Christ then comes back into their presence. And something just intriguing to note is that they then pray, and they it says specifically that they pray unto Jesus. It says that in verses 18 and 22. Um it's interesting because he'd already taught them to pray in the Father to the Father in his name. That's how we're taught to pray. So why praying unto Christ, unto Jesus? Elder McConkie suggested that there was a special reason why this was done in this instance and on a one-time basis. Jesus had already taught them to pray in his name to the Father, which they first did. Jesus was present, present before them as a symbol of the Father. Seeing him, it was as though they saw the Father. Praying to him, it was as though they prayed to the Father. It was a special and unique situation. Uh, the Institute Manual also adds to that this thought uh, by saying, It should be noted that the Savior specifically stated that people were praying to him on this occasion because, as he said, I am with them. Furthermore, on this occasion, they did not multiply many words, for it was given unto them what they should pray. So this is a one-time special thing. Uh, also note uh, in verse 24 where it says they did not multiply many words. Uh, Elder Gene R. Cook said, when we pray publicly, let us be careful never to be swept away in the desire for the honors of men, which might cause us to pray without real intent or to unnecessarily extend the length of our prayers. The same caution applies to those who pray for a mortal audience rather than simply to be heard by the Lord. We must always be careful to avoid flowery prayers or prayers to impress. Surely the Lord is not pleased with such an approach, nor will, the, nor will he answer such prayers of one who is not focused on the Lord or who prays without real intent. So just some more lessons about prayer. And guess what? The prayer, the hits keep on coming. Christ then teaches us, look at the way that Christ prays in these in these chapters and we can learn a lot. For example, in verses, 20, or verses 19 and 20 and 27 and 28, he says, I thank thee. He's praying to his father and he's expressing gratitude. Elder Robert D. Hales said, prayer is an essential part of conveying appreciation to our Heavenly Father. He awaits our expressions of gratefulness each morning and night in sincere, simple prayer from our hearts and for our many blessings, gifts, and our talents. Through the expression of prayer, gratitude, and thanksgiving, we show our dependence upon a higher source of wisdom and knowledge, God the Father and His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He also prays for unity in verses 20 through 23 and verse 29. I've mentioned this before, 35, 27, 35, 11. John chapter 17, verses 11, uh, verses 20 and 21, as well, uh, the great intercessory prayer, he prays for the unity that we may become one, even as he and the Father are one. Um, and in, in section uh, 38 of the Doctrine and Covenants, he said, I say unto you, be one, and if you are not one, you are not mine. We become his by becoming one, It's and it's the, the purpose of the atonement, the atonement of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice was so that we could be one with each other and one with him, unified in harmony, knit together, having our hearts knit together, uh, as Mosiah chapter 18 says. Elder Holland talks about uh, this prayer for unity. He said, From the Savior's language, we can see clearly that it is the Holy Ghost that provides such unity, a doctrinal point not so clearly communicated in the New Testament account. Furthermore, it is significant that one of the ultimate evidences of God has of our uh, evidence God has of our belief in deity is that we are seen and heard praying. 
Christ noted this evidence on behalf of the Nephites. To the Father, he said, Thou seest that they believe in me because thou hearest them. How do we show that we believe in Christ? By letting the Lord hear us. How does he hear us? Through our prayer. It is the key to miraculous manifestations of heaven and the personal companionship of the Holy Comforter. As Elder Holland said, it is, we see clearly that it is the Holy Ghost that comes and unifies, that is, uh, provides such a unity. It's his mission to, to cleanse and purify so that we can be one with each other and one with him. Um, I think of Elder Holland speaking to mission presidents. This is several years ago, maybe even 20. Uh, and he talked about um, for missionaries, it would be great if God the Father or Jesus Christ could go into a, a teaching appointment with missionaries to teach the people. But that's not how it works. How it works is those missionaries, through their obedience and through their preparation, can take the Holy Ghost with them. And the Holy Ghost can touch that person learning about the gospel. And it's the Holy Ghost's job to teach them, to edify them, to purify them, and to unify them. Uh, Elder James E. Talmadge in Jesus the Christ mentions a similar concept in saying that for us to be raised to a higher plane, the uh, think of Isaiah chapter 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. For even as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts and ways higher than yours, right? Paraphrase. But he's higher than us, a higher plane than us, God is. For something of a lower plane to reach the elevation of, a, of something, a being of a higher plane, the, the being from the higher plane needs to reach down and lift up. That's the only way. So Elder Talmadge basically says, an animal reaches down and eats a plant, and although it's temporary in this case, the plant becomes a part and unified with that animal. A man might eat that animal, and that animal and that plant are then unified in the man. God reaches down through the Holy Ghost. It's the, it's the Holy Ghost as it is the agent, reaches down, purifies, cleanses, unifies, and raises us up to be uh, like him. The Holy Ghost is central to that plan. Uh, also speaking about the prayer for unity, Elder Christofferson said, Jesus achieved perfect unity with the Father by submitting himself, both flesh and spirit, the will of the Father, the Savior. Uh, sorry, let me start over. Jesus achieved perfect unity with the Father by submitting himself, both flesh and spirit, to the will of the Father. The Savior's ministry was always clearly focused because there was no debilitating or distracting double-mindedness in him. Referring to his Father, Jesus said, I do always those things that please him. Surely we will not be one with God and Christ until we make their will and interest our greatest desire. Such submissiveness is not reached in a day, but through the Holy Spirit. The Lord will tutor us if we are willing and uh, willing until, in the process of time, it may be accurately said that He is in us, and the Father is in, and the Father as the Father is in Him. At times, I tremble to consider what may be required, but I know that it is only in this perfect union that a fullness of joy can be found. Go to the Bible dictionary about prayer. And one of the purposes, the main purposes of prayer is to bring the will of the child in alignment with the will of the Father. 
this unity happens through prayer. It's one of the main ways that our will is aligned with his will. And so Christ teaching us how to pray and to pray for unity and to become one is built upon the foundation of prayer. This entire time that he's been talking to the Nephites, he's been teaching them how to pray. In 3 Nephi chapter 18, he said, I've given you an example of how to pray. Do that. And then he goes on and teaches them more, but teaches them, I, I maybe I'm talking in circles a bit, but be one. How do you be one? The way that I taught you to pray. Pray like that. It's See see how these things build on each other. Um, in closing this week, I want to just point out a few things. He teaches, he taught about prayer. He taught about baptism in 35.11, and then they are baptized in 35 uh, chapter 19 here. He teaches them about how to pray. And then in 35, 19, the disciples practice that, that way of praying with the, with the followers until he then returns. He teaches them something and they immediately put it in pra- into practice. When the Lord commands, do it. I know that as we listen this coming week to the words of the prophet, to the words of God, as we hear him through the prophets and apostles, And as we do what he asks us and commands us to do, we will be blessed and protected from the storms of life, the whirlwinds, the darkness, the danger. I invite you to um, go to conference this weekend prepared with, with specific questions, and the Lord will answer those questions. And more importantly, as you act on what he, his answer, he will bless you and your family's life. Thank you for listening. Um, I appreciate it. I'll, we will. Uh, I may not have an episode next week. Maybe they'll. Maybe I'll do a conference episode. Uh, but if not, I'll catch you in a couple weeks when we begin to discuss Third uh, Nephi chapters twenty through twenty-six, uh, because that's not really until October twelfth through the eighteenth. So I haven't decided, like I said, but um, I'll see it later. I mean, maybe I won't see it, but I'll, I'll chat with you later about come follow me. Thanks again for listening. And we'll talk next time.